This is the second half of a webinar that I gave to the STC Rocky Mountain chapter on February 19, 2009. And in this part we just dive deeper into blogging and explore other facets. Again, my site is idratherbewriting.com. If you have feedback, feel free to leave it below the post or send me an email at tom at idratherbewriting.com. Thanks for listening. Another significant part of blogging is to understand how your audience is consuming the information. A lot of times, um, well, I actually read mostly, I read the blogs that I subscribe to as I'm laying in my bed with a Blackberry trying to go to sleep, or if I'm waiting for somebody, if I'm waiting in line somewhere, or if I'm, if I'm just, I have a minute at work and I need to uh, relax for a few minutes and just take my mind off something, right? So readers often read blogs in feed readers or on their Blackberry in feed readers, whatever mobile device they have, they're usually not reading it actually on your site. And this is important to, to know because this is Google Reader right here. I don't know how many of you subscribe to feeds, but typically uh, this is how people read blogs. They subscribe to lots of blogs. I, I probably have at least several hundred here that I subscribe to, and I will scan down the titles to look for something that's interesting. And if you don't have a catchy title, right, it's it's probably just going to slide on by. In fact, looking at here at this list, I mean, I may click on how to create good user documentation, even though it's not that exciting of a title, right? It's just like a little bit relevant. Now, not everybody reads with feed readers. And this is what you have to remember with your blog is that you want to give information in as many forms as possible. So for the people who do read with feed readers, right? You want to offer an RSS feed. But for people who maybe just like email, maybe they just want to read stuff that lands in their inbox, you should provide an email subscription option. And then there's a whole crowd who who don't really like RSS readers and they don't like email. They prefer to have tweets sent to their Twitter account, right? So provide a Twitter syndication of your feed. And you can do that through twitterfeed.com. It's really easy. Uh, if you're delivering audio content, you definitely don't want to just have links on your site. You want to have this in iTunes because anybody who has an iPod knows that it's a lot easier to you just plug your iPod in and it automatically downloads and all the stuff you're subscribed to. You don't have to manually do that. So you want to make it easy for your, your audience to, to subscribe in the way that they want. And this is a, this is a huge mistake that a lot of people make is that they... They don't provide the email, they don't provide the Twitter option, and they hide they hide the RSS feed, or they just use the default RSS feed. I have a friend who, um, he's a podcaster, he had his site for a long time, and he was just using the default RSS feed that came with his site. Well, one day he decided to switch hosts, go to a different domain, uh, and start using WordPress, instead of uh, libs well, I don't I don't know what he was on really um, but his RSS feed changed and here he already had several hundred people subscribed to his old RSS feed if he were to move to his new RSS feed he would lose all of them so there's a way around this uh, and that's to use a service called feedburner which is extremely common it's it's probably the most used all right so feedburner allows you to 
uh, it gives you an, a, an address to your feed, like feeds2.feedburner.com slash Tom Johnson. And then I have a, there's an interface in there where I can configure what feed is the original feed that's basically burned or syndicated to that feed that I just uh, spelled out. So I could switch domains, switch blogs, and all I would have to do is update my original feed in there, and, and the feed burner feed would stay the same. Uh, that sounded a little confusing as I was relating it, but basically use FeedBurner, and and that will give you the email option as well. And Twitter feed uh, will give you that Twitter option. Okay, so we have a question in the chat. Can you talk about the difference between blogs and wikis? So in many cases, a wiki may be more appropriate for what you're trying to do. Um, a wiki is, is a page where you, you go to it, and there's an edit button. You click edit and you can edit the original content. A blog, you go to the blog, there's no edit button. You can't edit the original post, right? If you can, that's weird. Uh, usually you can't. So usually wikis are used for group writing projects. For example, with WordPress, they have a giant codex, which is their online manual. It's in a wiki format and people are expected to go in and create a page or edit existing text, modify text. The idea is that something is not done, right? You're, you're moving towards perfection or you're moving towards a finished product. Whereas with a blog post, you hit the publish button, it's done. Nobody's changing that post, right? They can add comments below it, but the original stays the same. So it's, it's less of a group thing. Now there is a slight difference or there is a, it gets more fuzzy if you have like a group blog and let's say you uh, have multiple authors there and and so forth, but by and large, wikis are for group writing projects. Blogs are are not. Okay, let's keep going here. Key number six. I just have ten slides here. Key elements of blogs. I think blogs have four at least key elements: story, voice, transparency, and honesty. And if you're looking at the slide here, it shows a picture of my daughter reading. I think it's some princess book. What makes a a blog good and compelling is really the same thing that makes a book good and compelling. It usually has good story. It's got a narrator with a voice that is catchy. You know, it's, it feels honest or it feels um, true. And, you know, I can't emphasize this enough, but I think that uh, writing is all about story and everything else is a footnote, at least when it comes to, to something that you're trying to entertain readers with like a blog not so much help information of course right if you have help content it's it's not going to have story but but usually a good blog does have story i was reading a blog uh, by somebody who's really quite well known penelope trunk her blog is the brazen careerist but she had a post called how to build a career as an artist and i was reading that in the while i was waiting for my wife in a grocery store or something and it totally gripped me because her voice just jumped out at me and it was, it blended story with voice. Um, she was talking about her own attempts to, to build a career as an artist and so forth. I actually posted a link to this on writerriver.com. It's the latest one. So if you go there, you can read it, but, but she's an excellent example. Um, another example of somebody who does story well is again, John Hewitt with Poe War. He had a series a while back 
where he was telling stories of of his career as a technical communicator, and it was pretty fascinating. I really looked forward to it because, like, you know, he, he was he was actually being quite transparent and honest about these things. And many of these happened to him ten or twenty years ago, but it was fascinating to read, principally because of the story that he injected in it. Now, it's not always easy to find an an input story, but if you can integrate story in your blog post and your writing, it will jack up the appeal of that post tenfold at least. And and it's the same thing that I, I think many people who studied English uh, fell in love with, right? The books, the literature, it's really the story that drives them, that, that draws people in. And it's the same way with a blog post. Now, you can run into some trouble with this because how transparent and honest can you be if you're a company blogger? I had a post that I had made for one of my product for my product blog at work about um, whether this application actually saved you any time, <laughs> which was somewhat controversial because it one of its selling points was that it was supposed to kind of uh, make things easier for you. Well, in fact, in some respects, it didn't. If you belong to a certain or if you had certain practices for how you were were doing things, right? I know I'm being vague about this. But, but basically, I had it up there for a while, and after a while, I thought, you know, I don't want the project manager to get kind of antsy about this, and I, I decided to take it down for a while. But this is a constant battle that you will face if you are writing for a company, is that people who are in the higher-up positions will feel very uncomfortable if you start being too transparent, too honest, or if you aren't spinning some kind of positive point about your product. And this is why corporate blogs face more challenges than any other type of blogs and why they're often unsuccessful is because people end up recycling marketing material or it just sounds like a marketing piece and immediately the user goes there and there's a sense of distrust thinking this person is just going to try to sell their product. Uh, Kathy Sierra posted a tweet that I found really compelling. I, I I was trying to find it, but she said something like the number one mistake company bloggers make is blogging about their company. And I think you could say the same. If you have like a web product, of course you're going to blog about your product somewhat, right? But the number one mistake you can make is, is trying to really pitch it hard every time to your, to your readers. Um, if you can just build up a persona of, of interest, and present yourself as somebody who's interesting, even if you're not writing always about your product, comes across as a lot more believable. And I think a good example of this is actually um, WebWorks. Uh, Alan Porter, I think uh, he does a good job of of being in the Web 2.0 spheres without always trying to pound uh, WebWorks stuff. Any questions about about the key elements of blogs? Okay. Number seven, making the 652 blog posts findable on your site. A while back, I was uh, I was listening to a podcast with Michael Arrington. He, he's the TechCrunch guy, which is like one of the most popular sites for tech. And he said that, that actually blogging is a terrible business because it's kind of like holding sand in your hands. In order to keep your readers, you have to continually like refill, you have to reach down and grab more sand, generate more content every time. 
and the readers just kind of slip through your hands. And I notice the same thing on my site. If I don't post something, my, my number of readers drops like it just begins to drop like sand out of my hands. And so you have to continually create new posts. Well, you do this for several years and suddenly you have hundreds of posts on your site. And yet most readers who go to your site, they're only seeing the top, like ten, the last 10 posts. Yet you've posted stuff for three years. Where does it all go? So this poses a huge challenge, I think, um, making all your posts findable. And and this image here is, is this flash tag cloud. If you, you can't really get a sense of it until you go to it and you play around with it, it's kind of novel, but I don't really know that it's useful. Um, it's kind of useful to see what I sort of write about and how I've tagged it. These are those tags that somebody was, was bringing up earlier. Um, there's several different ways that people try to, to make posts findable. You can, you can do these tags, right, which are like index keywords. You can do categories, which are kind of like file folders, and you usually have like a dozen categories on your site. You can make a most popular post section. So there's lots of plugins in WordPress that will uh, take and rank based on, on views and comments, pingbacks. The, the posts that are most popular. So you can present those to your readers. You can do like a most popular post by category. So you can further refine that. Somebody who does a, a great job uh, of presenting back posts is Laurel at wordpress.com. If you go to L-O-R-E-L-L-E.wordpress.com. At the end of each of her posts, she has like a big chunk of related posts. And I think this is probably probably the best method. That there are certain plugins that, that will search and do keyword matching between your current posts and all the other posts on your site. And and so you can you can show the reader other posts because most of your readers are they're coming from the internet, they searched, they found your site. You know, almost like seventy percent of people who hit your site are, are first timers. And if you present at the bottom of that post additional posts that, that you've also written, it's a way of, of kind of bringing back all your stuff from your archives that had sunk into oblivion, right? Another way to make your posts findable is something I talked about earlier. It's making them search engine optimized so that they actually are findable in Google. Because once that post leaves your homepage, it's gone into oblivion. The only way that it's really going to be visible is if people hit the right keywords or if it comes up as a related post in, in one of these uh, plugins. And then there's archives, which is the worst, right? People can browse your site by date and like there's almost no value to that, but except to perhaps establish that you've been blogging for a long time, but people can search by date. Or you can link some posts together in like an article series. There's plugins that allow you to do that. Whatever you do, though, keep findability in mind and provide multiple ways. I mean, you want to provide people the ability to search your site. So you want a search box on your site. Um, you want to provide categories as well as tags, as well as related links. Anything you can do to try to make your content findable will allow people to, will, will allow you to increase the number of page views. You don't want somebody to land at your site and then bounce back off. That's called a bounce rate. You want them to land in your site and continue drilling into other content. Any questions about findability, blog posts? I think blogs in general, I mean, people who are into library science, 
they should really study blogs because it's the most chaotic thing. If you just look at this tag cloud, it, content resists easy classification. Even though I have a specific focus, technical communication, latest trends, occasional WordPress topics, there's no easy way to categorize the information. Okay, let's move on to another point, comments and what to do with them. A while back, my wife decided that she wanted to turn comments off on her blog. And this lasted only one day <laughs> before she turned them back on because comments are clearly one of the most valuable parts of writing. People love to get feedback. Whether you're writing a novel and you want to see what other people say about it, you want to catch somebody in the act of reading your novel or something, or whether you know, you've know you got a blog or whatever, it's the comments that, that really give you a lot of validation and, and make you feel good. But a lot of people don't see this. Uh, for example, I was fixing a guy's site the other night. Who, his site got hacked and he was in panic mode. And, and so I just restored it. And I noticed that there were 145 kind of comments in there. And I was asking him, I'm like, you know, do you have a spam blocker on there? And he, and he said, oh, yeah, uh, we turned comments off. Um, I sure don't want comments showing up on my site. And I was thinking, why? That's part of the whole appeal, both of readers being able to comment and interact with the author, as well as authors being able to receive feedback on what you're writing. You know, it does, doesn't make sense to write in a vacuum. But the problem that many people perceive with comments is that, A, you can get a lot of negative comments, especially if you have a product blog and you've got an angry customer. You know, it's very easy to launch into a tirade if you're an upset user and tell the world how bad the product is. All right, so there's, there's that hesitation that a lot of people face. And then spam. My goodness, spam is just like, it's, it's unstoppable practically. So I'm going to talk about two of these things. When it comes to these malicious comments, I, I've gotten bad comments on my site before. Independents usually don't get attacked as much, right? If you're, if you're not a company blogger, this isn't really that big of an issue. You may get a negative comment, but it's not like something that is usually troubling. It's usually in the corporate blog world where the negative comments begin to, to cause more controversy. And there, there have been examples of companies who have learned the hard way not, not to sanitize comments. The best thing to do is to look at comments with a positive light and say, look, I'm getting user feedback and I'm getting a chance to address it with the user and show that I'm listening and I care. Um, if you have that perspective, you'll do well. If you have the perspective of, oh, this is a bad comment, delete, delete. Well, users who read long lists of positive comments quickly distrust the uh, validity of those. So when you have comments on your site, A, make it easy for people to comment. You know, turn it on, make it easy for people to comment. Don't make people have their comment be approved. That's just sending a signal that, hey, I may actually delete this if I don't like it. It's showing distrust. It's a lot easier to delete like a spam comment that will slip through than it is to just go through and approve everything one by one, which would be incredibly tedious if you have a lot of comments. This is one of the reasons I actually hate Blogger is because every time 
I want to comment on a blogger blog, the comment form is just not, it's not very user-friendly. And it, in fact, the comments don't even display below the posts. They're usually on a separate pop-up that appears. At any rate, I don't mean to slam blogger. I mean, it's fine because it allows many people to get into blogging without without getting, uh, without too much technical trouble, right? But uh, you want to make it e- as easy as possible for people to comment. Now, to avoid spam comments, there is a plugin that's very well known called Akismet, A-K-I-S-M-E-T. Uh, not really sure exactly what it means. I forgot. But basically, it's WordPress's solution to spam. And it works somewhat ingeniously in that it the more people blacklist a comment, that IP address and so forth, it gets added to this blacklist database that is then shared with the other installations of the plugin and so forth. So uh, it works well. So if you have a WordPress blog, activate Akismet. It's a little tricky to activate, but do it. And it will stop most of your spam. Yes. I've got a question about WordPress. Um, are the WordPress blogs, are they hosted by WordPress? software that you put on your own site? Good question. Okay, so there are two, there are at least two flavors of WordPress. If you go to WordPress.com, you will see freely hosted blogs, somewhat similar to Blogger, where you just sign up, it's hosted on their site, you can't do a whole lot to it. That That is okay, but usually people want more control. So if you go to WordPress.org instead, you get the self-hosted version of WordPress. And the self-hosted version of WordPress requires you to buy space from a web host, such as Bluehost or Lunar Pages or DreamHost or something, for $7 a month or something. And then you install WordPress on your web host, and then you can do whatever you want with it. You can totally change the theme, the layout. You can add whatever plugins you want. These are things that give you more functionality. You can do anything. Um, whereas with the freely hosted version, you kind of got to pay extra to do some things. So, however, the self-hosted option is not for everyone, right? If you don't ever want to have any technical issues ever, and you want to minimize that as much as possible, then just go the wordpress.com route because it, it will work. It will work fine for your needs. And you can even buy your own domain and point it to that. And many people may not even know you're on wordpress.com. But if you want to brand the site, make it look how you want it to look. If you want to not worry about like space, uh, storage space, if you want to add all kinds of cool plugins to do things that you want, like PodPress or, or other things, then then get your own host and, and go to WordPress.org and, and install it from there. In fact, many hosts have these auto installers. Make it really easy to install. If you look for the fanta- Fantastico icon or the Simple Scripts or Whatever auto-installer feature a web host has, it will make it really simple to install. Did that answer your question? Oh, sorry. We're (laughs) playing with the mic here. Yes, thank you. Okay. Any other questions? Uh, One over here. Okay. Yeah, I can pass the mic here. Uh, Actually, I have a couple of questions just to get a clarification. Uh, When you're do you see a benefit of having one blog per page? You know, on some blogs I go to, the, you can, like, scroll down forever. 
in others you have like a blog on a page and then you have to like click back to the other one or the previous blog so you, you get like the posting of the day on that page yeah yeah in fact i think if you go to the content wrangler it's a good example of this uh one featured post kind of thing this style and then the others are just like one-liners but yeah, so your question is, should, how many posts should you basically have on your front page of your blog? How many blog posts? Three, five, ten, right? Um, that's really up to you. I think that ten is a good a good number. That's usually the default. And you can you can insert a read more tag into the post so that if they're long posts, it doesn't push down all the other content and force readers to scroll forever. Right, so you, you this read more tag splits up the post, so they they click the read more, and then it shows the full post in its own view, and that is pretty valuable because people aren't going to your blog every day. I mean, people may catch up on blogs and want to see, oh, what's the latest stuff that Tom's written, and they'll scan down the homepage, or or like I said, many people they arrive at your site the first time because because they search for a keyword, they landed on your site. And then maybe click your homepage to check out what your site's about. Well, if you just have one post on there or two posts, then the chances of them saying, oh, this author writes about content that I really like is is, is less. So by having at least 10 posts there, you, you give them an idea. Another thing that is really critical that I was, I'm not sure where I was going to cover this, but in order to increase your number of subscribers, you want to have something on your site that it, is like an about statement because, and this is a huge mistake so many people make is they don't have any kind of like focus or about on their homepage describing what their blog is about. So when people go to the site, the reader has no idea. It's a, the reader just has to uh, look at the post titles and um, extrapolate what the theme of the blog is. And if the post titles are, are hard to decipher, like if they're too clever to really be clear, um, then the reader may just skip away. In fact, I was sitting down here thinking about this. I get about 700 page views a day on my blog, and at least 65% of the people are not subscribers or they've cleared their cookies or something, so they're first-time visitors. If just 10% of those people actually subscribed, then in a month I'd have like 3,000 new, new readers and subscribers every month. So converting those people is key and getting them to sign up is key and i think if you have at least 10 post titles you 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 have a better chance of doing that there's actually another plugin called what would seth godin do which is kind of weird for a title name but it's catchy but basically it looks at your visitors and if it's a new visitor it displays this little box on the site that says hey i think you're a new person here why don't you subscribe to my feed and it's kind of interesting. Um, I just put that on my blog today to play with it. So you'll see that. And if you refresh your blog, refresh the page three times, it will disappear because then you're considered a regular reader. So any other questions? Now, yeah. Second question is earlier you said sometimes okay. the comments appear elsewhere. Can WordPress, can you force WordPress to show the comments directly beneath the post? Yeah, 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 you can. Oh, the, the default way that WordPress works is that you have an index view which doesn't show comments, and then the person clicks the post title, and you get the single post view with the comments right directly below it. 
That's really the best way because if you have, imagine if you have 30 comments on a post. Well, if that showed on the index main view on your homepage, it, it creates a scrolling necessity for the reader, which may not be what what you want. But actually, there's a, there's a guy who really wanted to have all the comments visible. So if you go to the IT Author podcast, I'm not sure what the domain is. It's something like itauthor.com or .eu or something. But he has adjusted his WordPress site so that the comments always display below the post. You don't ever have to click anything. And and he did that because I think he wanted to make readers aware that they can comment. So you, you, ha- you have that flexibility with WordPress, which is why a lot of people like it because you can pretty much make it do what you want to do and and that appeals to people so but with that (laughs) is is a double-edged sword because people end up breaking their blogs and they freak out and they're like ah you know or or they have other technical issues but that's also part of the fun you'll quickly find out whether you whether you fit into that camp or not if you kind of like to tinker with with websites you love it if you hate that then then you may not one more, one more question related to what you were saying. Oh, so, sorry. Okay. Go ahead. The, uh, a lot of people are looking for time value information, like if it was posted last week, they, they devalue it or they value it less. Can you turn off the date or would you see any value in doing that? Yeah, you can definitely turn off the date. It's just a little, a little, little WordPress template tag that you can eliminate, and then nobody will know when it was posted. As a reader, I think I may be a little suspicious about that. I, I do like to know how valid something is. It's part of our evaluation mechanism for the information, right? If it's if you're writing about something and you want to know when it was written, so you know whether it's still current. So I wouldn't take that off there as a as a trick. Uh, I'll just leave that on. Okay, I got a moderator. FYI, Tom, you have 15 minutes plus QA slash wrap up. Okay, so. So I just have this slide and one more. You know, the results of blogging are very interesting. And uh, to be totally transparent here, it's, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, I've been a technical communicator for like five years. Before that, I was a writing instructor, uh, copywriter. But I've only been in this field about five years. But my blog has given me so much visibility that I've been... I've, it's, it's quite amazing. Like, I you get branded as an expert when you blog, right? You get invited to speak at conferences when you have when you have a blog and when you're highly visible. You get invited to write articles. You, you, you're in people's minds. You're extremely visible. And because you're visible, you're what come to people's minds when they're trying to, to do things. It has been the number one asset for me in job searches because it establishes authority, first of all, in the field. It engenders trust with the employer. They can dig through your blog and see if you know anything and if they like your writing. You know, this can work against you, too, if you're a bad writer. If you if you put a lot of mistakes, misspellings, say a lot of crazy things, sure, it can be a detriment. But by far, it will help your career. It will help you stay passionate and enthusiastic, which is probably another huge uh, component. It really can can help you do a lot. If you have a business that you're trying to promote, right? Whatever it is, your consulting business, your your t-shirts, whatever you're trying to sell, it is your ticket into Google. It's your way to generate a lot of content. 
and to make yourself known among people. If you're writing about a product, let's say you you have a product blog, it's a way to make your product visible on the web or even in the enterprise. If you're behind a firewall, uh, but you're in a big organization such that the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing, that kind of thing, um, you can make things visible and findable through your blog. So they're, they're huge results. And it's really kind of fascinating to see what comes of it. Final slide is questions that everyone asks about WordPress. So this is just some image that I found, but it kind of encapsulates uh, the kind of appeal of WordPress by a lot of a lot of people. People just, especially the techies, they just go crazy over it, and and it's their favorite little application. Um, but a lot of people ask, first of all. What's WordPress.com versus WordPress.org? You know, that question we already addressed. Um, But they want to know where they can find cool-looking themes, what plugins they should add, and how to install it. Um, I also kind of covered how to install it earlier. But with themes, um, there are several routes you can go. There are lots of free themes. You can even go and buy a theme at some place like WooThemes.com, W-O-O. They have kind of cool-looking themes. Um, sometimes they're a little bit more complicated than the basic basic themes. But there's also a theme directory. If you go to WordPress.org, uh, I know the path. If you go to WordPress.org slash extend slash themes, you can browse a big directory. You can just Google them. They're all over the Internet. But whatever theme you have, you're going to want to change it. People always want to modify it. And if you know a little bit of CSS, it's not that hard. You can make changes to the font, the banner, the color, layout. Um, just tinker around with it. And if you're good with CSS, you'll, you'll love it. As far as plugins, I really recommend, as I said, a Kismet, the subscribe to comments plugin. And if you go to my site, you can actually see all the plugins I'm using in my sidebar. There's a, there's a little info sharing section, and you can read all the plugins I'm, I'm using. But, but the plugins are... This is what makes WordPress the most powerful blogging platform because it's not just one company who is doing everything. It's it's a whole community. There are thousands of people who know PHP and who are making these little modifications and, and these, little, these little widgets that do things that add extra functionality to your blog that, for example, will embed little flash players so you can put audio right there or, like I mentioned, the, the search engine or the related posts or Twitter tools. The Twitter tools will take all your latest tweets on Twitter and put them in your sidebar. The The community aspect of WordPress is what makes it powerful because you can do pretty much whatever you want to do if you find the right plugin or if you want to make your own plugins if you're, if you're like a developer type. And, and this is also what works well about blogging in general as well. It's the community that you generate among your readers and the comments and the interaction and just yourself, what you give to them. And so it, it, it's somewhat um, reflected in, in the software itself. All right, that's about all I had. So um, now if any of you have questions, well, I will love to answer them here. So does anybody have any questions about anything that we haven't talked about or you want me to clarify more about? All right. My last thing. Good night. The, um, does anybody, does the WordPress allow you to monetize the site with Google text ads? 
Yes, yes. If you have the self-hosted WordPress, if you do the if you do the freely hosted WordPress at WordPress.com, you actually can't put text ads okay. in there. So that's another. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I, you have yeah, follow I'm, up. I'm sorry. The the um, the I, I after I saw your site, I went and downloaded the um, the uh, the version that goes on a site, and I set up a MySQL and I plugged it in. And I thought, okay, now what am I going to do with it? And I thought, well, I'm going to pay attention to what Tom says. Uh, so w- when the Google text ads are there, what do you think? Is, do you have any? What's your feeling on how readers who are coming to your site, which is uh, your opinion on things, how do they react to those ads? Well, Google text ads don't make you a lot of money. I've tried them before, and trust me, if they were money makers, I would have them all over my site, right? Because who couldn't add extra money to their pocketbook? When I did them last year, they made me 10 bucks a month, and I thought, I don't want these ads on my site for 10 bucks a month. Other people have had more success. Um, for example, the Poe War guy that I keep referring to, he claims he makes about $300 a month. And he has, a, he has about 2,000 viewers a day or something. So if you have a lot of traffic, they could potentially be a moneymaker. But the real value of your blog is if, you, if you're actually selling something else. Um, you, you're not going to make enough off Google Ads to be very happy about it. You're better off just using your blog as a vehicle to sell something else, like some related product, and you'll probably make more money. But you can try Google Ads. The, you make money every time somebody clicks them, right? And and you can't just click them all yourself, or you'll you'll get banned. But but definitely, you can you can experiment with that, and maybe you'll have more success. Any other questions that we can talk about? Tom, I I do have another question. Okay, so you had said earlier that you should not turn off or on the um, the option where someone could post and then you could then approve it later on. What happens if somebody posts something inappropriate and you see it later on? Can you remove it later on? Yeah, yeah. And if somebody posts something, let's say they swear all over their comment, you don't want that on your site. Uh, well, first of all, there are plugins that will will replace swear words with little asterisks, so you can eliminate that. But if it's totally inappropriate, you can just go in and delete it. Like mo- almost every blogging software allows you to delete comments. Uh, the frequency of that happening is so much rarer than than the norm, the normal comment, that I don't recommend having people route every comment through approval just to try to kill that one rogue comment that that slips by. So, and, and you're notified immediately when somebody adds a comment to your blog, at least in WordPress, you get a little email notification. So you can immediately go to that and delete it. Um, it's not hard at all. Okay. Any other questions? Now, I, I'd be happy to answer questions if you have some over email. My contact information is on my site. So I'd rather be writing.com. And, of course, if you need help with WordPress, I offer WordPress consulting, too, and things like that. And I really encourage you to begin experimenting with blogs, thinking about them. Try them out. And if it's a right fit for you, I think it could. you'll find that it will change your life in so many different ways. So, all right. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Tom. That was great.